was born in the Netherlands. That's my small claim to fame. Um, but I was three when my parents immigrated, so I didn't have much to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were in Canada uh, ever since. I, I've lived in Canada ever since. Okay. And, yeah. Is it the Toronto area or did you move around? Right. So it's uh, Southern Ontario. Okay. My parents immigrated to Southern Ontario and not far from Toronto. Um, and uh, eventually settled down just on the north shore of Lake Erie. Uh, I suppose it would be right across from Cleveland for you folks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, um, and I've moved once uh, in my adult life um, to, from one farm to another farm, and they're about an hour driving uh, apart. So it's okay. still in Southern Ontario. We live now fairly close to London. So that's west of Toronto. Hmm. So did you grow up with horses or was it um, later when you bought the horse that that was your first experience? Well, my dad was a dairy farmer and um, a lot, we had, a, uh, my mom, my mother, father had a large family. Um, so, you know, it was a typical farm. Everybody helps out on the farm. Um, but I always, uh, I was, I'm told that I used to bug my dad for a pony and he would have none of it because he said it just costs money. It doesn't bring in, in any money. And besides that, they're hard on the fences. And uh, so anyway, but uh, sure enough, the, when I was a young teenager, then a pony did arrive on the farm. And that was my, my really my first uh, my first uh, experience with a horse, and uh, I thought it would be all fun, but it happened to be a very, very stubborn Shetland pony, <laughs> and, and it didn't turn out to be much fun at all. So eventually, I moved up uh, to a Welsh pony, and I had a couple Welsh ponies. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I've always had an interest in in the in horses, and um, living on a farm, of course, it was kind of natural. To, uh, to have a, have a, a horse on the farm. So when I um, finished my schooling, I, I went to University of Guelph for four years and got a Bachelor of Science degree. And then I took over my dad's dairy farm. He was ready to retire. Hmm. And uh, sure enough, we had some horses on the farm then too. Uh, I really didn't have much time to uh, pay attention to them. But uh, we had a few horses that we would ride on the weekends and um, we raised a few foals, foals which again, didn't get any attention. So you can imagine <laughs> what they were like when they were three years old. And, and I really didn't have the ability to, and the patience and the time to train them. Mm -hmm. So they were eventually sold. And uh, then um, after about 20 years of being a dairy farmer, I switched to horticulture. And um, during those first uh, 10 years of being involved in the greenhouse vegetable industry, um, I really didn't have time to even think about horses. I was just mm -hmm. having um, put all my energy into starting up a, in a new industry. And uh, that went very well. But um, there was, a, there was a, a point in time where I was in the Netherlands and uh, I visited a manufacturer, equipment manufacturer, and I was looking for particular specialized equipment for the greenhouse, my greenhouse. And um, 
the gentleman who owned the manufacturing firm, he, I was sitting in his office discussing our business and um, at certain points he said, uh, what do you think of the Frisian horse? And um, I looked at him and I said, Frisian horse? I've never heard of a Frisian horse. And uh, I, it's no word of a lie, uh, being a Dutchman, I should have known, <laughs> but I really didn't. And uh, you know, Frisians at that time, so we're talking about um, almost 20 years ago. And um, there were some Frisians in Ontario, but I wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, but anyway, the gentleman, he invited me to come to his home, which was of course fun. And um, he had, uh, he lived in a village and he had a, a, a small barn behind his house and a small pasture area behind that. And he had three very nice Frisian geldings in the barn that he used to harness up and drive through town, oh, he said. Wow. And he showed me pictures, of course. And um, But anyway, I, I fell in love with those horses because they, uh, I remember just a majestic horse with a very fine, refined, like a big horse, but a refined head, mm -hmm. a refined face. And um, it really intrigued me. And um, I, I always kind of considered that when I was uh, slowing down in my business career as a greenhouse operator, that I might very well have some horses in the field. And I was kind of picturing Belgians with, uh, you know, putting them in, in a harness and putting them in front of a, a wagon. And then when I got uh, acquainted with the Frisian horse, suddenly, you know, that, that, that idea became kind of a dream and thought the Frisian horse would be actually even more interesting to have in the field and part, possibly harness up. And of course, the... Um, connections with Holland are obvious. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, that's that was the beginning of the tale and it carries on today. So how did you get your first horse? Is your horse from the Netherlands or is your horse from Ontario? Well, that's another interesting part of the story actually. <laughs> and that, the, the next time I was in Holland, I would go to Holland probably about twice a year. Um, my cousin, uh, he said, uh, rumor had it that I was interested in Frisian horses. Well, the truth was I was beginning to become interested. And he said, I know a really nice farm down outside the village. And uh, he says, that I'm more than welcome there anytime. He says, I'd like to take you there. So he took me to actually one of the uh, larger uh, stud farms in the Netherlands uh, mm -hmm. called the Nieuwe Heuvel. And... Um, I'm of course very familiar with them now, but at that time that was the first visit. And um, they they had a lot of horses there and they did a lot of business uh, also, training and selling horses. And um, so being a businessman, of course, I said, well, what's it gonna cost me to import a couple of nice mares to Canada? Because, um, I mean, we can talk all, we, all day long, right, about it, but mm -hmm. when, unless you know the cost and I realized these people could, definitely give me a, a, a fairly accurate, well, estimate uh, of, of a cost. So uh, they, they, they offered me cost uh, structure and uh, um, a plan. And I said, okay, let's go for it. So I made a down payment and um, I came home and feeling pretty good about it. And then uh, my daughter, uh, my daughter, Rachel, she, started to realize that dad was looking at Frisian horses. Well, <laughs> that just kindled her spirit. 
And she said, what she did was went online and she started studying Frisian horses. And mm. she came to a conclusion very quickly that there are Frisian horse owners in Ontario. Mm. In fact, not far from us, like maybe 45 minutes. And uh, so the next step was, well, let's go visit these folks. And these were recent immigrants that had brought Frisian horses with them. Mm. And um, the first couple of questions that uh, Ted asked me uh, was, uh, uh, you know, about these two horses that I had bought, purchased in the Netherlands, but had not received yet in Canada, because there, the, the, the plan was that those horses, they would be uh, bred and trained um, before they would be delivered to me in Canada. So there was about a six month period from the time we drew up the plan to the time I would receive the horses. Anyway, uh, Ted asked me questions, basic, basic questions that I couldn't answer oh, no. <laughs> about the horses that I bought. And uh, so we were a quick study mm-hmm. and we learned a lot about the Frisian horse in a short time. And I came to the conclusion, I would be better off buying a couple of horses from Ted. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I called the people in Holland and I said to them, I said, um, uh, thank you very much, but um, you can keep my down payment, uh-huh. but I've changed my mind. And they said, well, you might owe me some more, but they never sent me a bill and I wasn't planning to pay anymore. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that was the beginning. We bought two mares from uh, Ted in Ontario, and uh, that, that was the beginning. Hmm. And then since then, we um, have, uh, you know, continually built up our breeding program and the brood mares that we have in our barn, um, just better quality. And mostly because you just learn more and more in those first uh, critical years, the first five years, because the Frisian breed is a very disciplined registry mm-hmm. and um, judging takes place on an annual basis. And um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's, they have a very disciplined system of um, judging the horses and um, you know putting uh, criteria in place in how we describe the ideal horse. And of course, um, when the judges judge our horses on an annual basis, um, they're comparing our horses to what is considered the ideal horse by the registry, right? Mm-hmm. And I had quite a bit of experience with that when I was a dairy farmer because I had registered Frisian Holstein cows and there it was common also to to have a um, person come in and um, look at your cows and grade the cows according to their conformation and and um, their their body type that sort of thing so um, and of course, that information allows um, the Frisian Holstein registry to create really um, accurate uh, breeding values with regard to the cows, but more importantly, with regard to the sires, the bulls that are used for the next generation. And that's the same with the Frisian, uh, the Frisian registry. Um, there's just a a whole lot of data available to the members uh, with regard to their own horses 
but there's a whole lot of data that's available on um, other horses. Um, some of it, some of it is uh, private to the owners, but a lot of it is not. And then, of course, the data that's available on the uh, on the approved stallions that are available for breeding. Um, there's just an umpteen amount of data available, so that you can really um, work it towards mating, um, bringing the the proper crosses together to hopefully you know, cr create a, a stronger and better next generation. Mm -hmm. I guess, what does a judge really look for when it comes to picking the correct horse? Yeah, Frasian. okay. Um, so I'm not an expert, but I've been around these uh, people a long time. Um, and so I don't mind commenting on it. Uh, so the, when the judging takes place, we, we uh, call it occurring because that's what it's called in Holland and occurring. So some people equate that with a show in North America, but it really isn't. Um, occurring is the judging of the horse and judging the horse's conformation. And with regard to horses, also movement. And when we talk about movement, we're talking about the walk. We're talking about the can, uh, sorry, we're talking about the trot. And in some cases, the canter. And uh, so you ask, what are the judges looking for? Well, uh, when we show the, our horses to the judges, then we always show them in, at the curring, we show them in halter. And um, so the first thing the judges do is size up the horse with regard to confirmation. So they're looking at the head of the horse, the neck of the horse, the back of the horse, the croup, and they'll look at the quality of the legs. And so they come up with uh, a score with regard to the racial type, the conformation, the legs and the feet. And um, then we are asked by the judge to walk the horse in a, in a triangle and um, <clears throat> during the walk, the judges size up the stretch of the walk, the strength of the walk, um, and also the uh, suppleness of the body movement, right? Is the horse kind of stiff-legged or is the horse got um, lots of flexibility? Um, and then the next step is the horse is is um, run, we say run, by uh, a runner. So the runner has the horse, and we're talking about a mature horse now, a three-year-old or older, um, will run them in the, in the same triangle shape, uh, and they'll do that twice. And the, the judges will judge the horse on the trot. And again, the same idea, it's the use of the front leg, is there, is there good movement flexibility? Is it, is it picking it up high and stretching it forward? Is there a good length of stride? Is there a good power in the hind end? Um, does the horse propel itself from the rear and lift in the front? Um, those are the kind of things they're looking for and they score the horse. And then based on the score of those traits, 
they will come up with a uh, category that the horse is placed in. And with regard to a three-year-old, if I'm showing a three-year-old, which is considered a mature horse hmm. um, with, for the purposes of the curing, then um, the, the horse will receive no preemie or will um, re re receive a stud book category or a first preemie or a second preemie and then a first preemie. So first preemie being the highest score at that point. That's a lot of information. <laughs> I oh, didn't yeah. know. I could, yeah, I could go on. I wasn't but, sure uh, how it worked with Frisians. I mean, they're just so majestic and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I wasn't sure how um, they quite scored it. So I didn't know. I know that there's usually um, a younger class for the younger horses who are not mature yet. So I wasn't sure how it kind of worked for Frisians. Right, sure. So how many stallions do you have? Um, we actually own two stallions. And when we talk about stallions, of course, um, you know, uh, we assume that all the horses we deal with are registered. Um, but then, this, when we talk about stallions, we're typically talking about approved stallions. Mm -hmm. and, and those are uh, stallions within the breed, within the registry, that have gone through a very um, stringent uh, judging program. And that, you know, we would say the cream rises to the top. And every year, the KFPS, which is the registry in the Netherlands, which is the, 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 um, the mother registry, um, they will approve approximately four to five new stallions each year. So uh, it's typical that um, about 300 to 350 young stallions are exposed to the judges on any given year. And out of those 350 stallions, and generally they're young stallions, um, two and a half years or older, up to five years, um, out of those 350, there will be four or five that will be given breeding, breeding rights. Wow. And, and then they're understood to be an approved stallion and they receive an official number. And so um, we own Tonius 459, and we own Julius 459, uh, sorry, 486. I love Julius. <laughs> That's awesome. Pardon me? I love the name Julius. Oh, yeah. It is a cool <laughs> name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, what was I going to say? So I should tell you that Tonius... Uh, was was a, a young stallion that was offered for us to buy. And eventually we did buy him. So Tonius was bred by Klaus and Mars Vanderplug in Michigan. Um, and they sold him to uh, a, a person in Florida. And then eventually that person, well, eventually quite soon after, a year and a half later, uh, that person sold Tonius 459 to uh, to us in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And so we continue to be his owners and he's a resident in our barn as we speak. 
Julius, on the other hand, um, was a young colt that was born in our barn here in Ontario. And um, when he was about two years old, then uh, we started to realize that he was something special. And um, sure enough, he intrigued the judges and the judges invited him to the testing program. Mm -hmm. And at that, uh, in North America, the testing program takes place in California. And it's, it's um, uh, of course, um, looked after uh, by the KFPS, but in cooperation with the Frisian Horse Association of North America, FANA. And um, they handle that testing program in California. And we were fortunate enough that um, his name was Jacob, but when they become an approved stallion uh, after going through the testing program and being invited uh, to be approved, then they receive a new name. And so it became Julius 486. Hmm. Do you still call him Jacob? <laughs> um, no, no, we don't. We call him Julius because we like Julius. Yeah. Julius is a really cool name. Thank you. So you have two of the four or five that are allowed to breed um no there are no so so we own tonya's 459 and julius 486 um julius he's about nine years old and tonya's 459 he's 13 years old okay um, but in the united states there are approximately 20 approved stallions okay um i think uh the the Frisian Horse Association of North America started the testing program in California about 10 years ago. And during those 10 years, probably about five stallions have been approved in North America. Hmm. So when I say there's about 20 stallions in North America, then the other 15 uh, would have been imported by their owners from the Netherlands, where they purchased the stallion in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. In the Netherlands, there's about... Um, 50, 55 uh, approved stallions that are standing at stud. And of course, some are popular and some are older and some are not so popular, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a smattering of approved stallions in England, Germany, um, Norway, um, yeah, uh, South Africa, France, but Holland is of course the hub. And you were, you were president of the board, is that correct? Um, no, I'm not. But <laughs> I was on the board of the Frisian Horse Association for nine years. And my last year, which was two years ago, um, my last year, I, I was the acting president. I see. Yeah. But I had served uh, three terms and um, we, uh, we, we have a bylaw that says we can do three terms and then we have to retire. Um, it still makes us eligible to uh, stand again for the board, but you are forced to drop off for at least one year, which I think is a good rule. I would agree with that. <laughs> um, what exactly were your duties while you were on the board? Well, um, we the Frisian Horse Association of North America has an office in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, at the uh, horse park. And... Um, uh, we, for sure, the acronym is FAUNA, 
Um, Fauna has staff. So Jason Tice is the executive director and he has an assistant, uh, administrative assistant uh, in, at the office. So there's a total staff of two people. So um, they do a lot of the, the behind the scenes work. Um, as a board member, we would meet uh, once a month, I believe uh, 10 or 11 times a year. And then um, between meetings, there would be uh, various committee meetings. Um, so um, we, we would meet um, already, you know, before the days of COVID and Zoom, uh, we would always meet over the phone um, because it, uh, we would, uh, Fauna, uh, the Fauna represents all of Canada and all of the United States. Hmm. And uh, there are seven board members and those board members, uh, you know, come from various areas in the United States and Canada. And so it's uh, virtually impossible to, to meet in person um, from a cost-wise perspective. And so we were used to having our meetings over the phone, but uh, now of course it's done by Zoom, which is better. Um, and and the board, we would get together definitely once a year and we would have a, a Fauna, Fauna has a annual meeting every year, organizes an annual meeting, which is a two-day event. And um, <clears throat> uh, with regard to the duties, it was just, um, you know, being, uh, continue to review policy, trying to create policies that were good for uh, North America. And of course, um, try to strengthen our programs and possibly bring in uh, new programs. So while I was uh, on the board, we initiated the idea of a mayor show. So we kind of copied what we see in the Netherlands, as you can imagine. But um, in North America, every year, up until recently when it was disrupted by COVID, but there would be approximately 15 to 20 currings taking place in the different states and some of the different provinces in Canada. And after the currings were finished, then uh, we created a mayor show in the East, and then eventually also a mayor show in the West, where you, we were invited to bring the, the highest quality mayors, especially the mayors that had just recently been judged that season, to bring them all in one place and you know basically have a runoff. And so it's pretty exciting and uh, the top mayor would be, uh, you know, recognized in the East and the top mayor would be recognized in the West. And um, that was uh, all done again with cooperation of uh, the judge, the judges from the Netherlands. So for the mayor show, uh, there would be two, two judges that would stay back for the benefit of the mayor show and, uh, and uh, judge the mayors so that uh, we would have a credible judging of who the top mayor would be in the reserve champion. I just never knew. I never knew it was this big and that there was this much going on with it. So that's incredible. Um, if somebody was looking to buy Frisians, what what's the first thing that they should do or that they should know? Or what do you think people should know if they want to purchase a horse of of this um, caliber. Yeah, I mean, it's this is incredible. Yeah, okay, thanks for the question. Um, of course, uh, like I, I've mentioned Fauna several times, 
um, the Frasian Horse Association of North America, and it has a very good website. And it's a very, it's a dynamic website. It keeps be, uh, being updated and so on. And there's a, just a host of information with regard to all questions, all okay. questions that someone might have. And also they cover the idea of, of buying your first Frisian horse. Okay. Um, so that, that would be the first thing. Um, it's, I think it's wonderful to be able to find somebody that's been involved with the Frisians for a number of years, um, similar to my experience with Ted, right? Um, and then, you know, uh, there's just so much that you can uh, pick up before you buy that first horse, uh, just by talking to, so supposedly, let's call it a mentor mm -hmm. um, that's familiar with the Frisian breed. And that certainly will help a lot. But um, yeah, there's uh, the website and uh, wherever that takes you, right? Because the KFPS, which is the mother organization in the Netherlands, their, their website is also in English, if you wish it to be in English. Okay. So there again. And then of course, um, Fauna and the KFPS, they have their own Facebook page, uh, Facebook page, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's always quite active also. The two barns that had uh, just strictly uh, Frisians that I've been to, the horses are so well cared for and taken care of. I mean, it, it's just a, you know, like um, a different... Uh, feeling when you go to those barns as opposed to just your average uh, barns to me. I mean, they've always seen like horses that um, they're very serious and studious when you see them too. They're very like, you know, I mean, I think they require that attention. It's not like just they're, they don't, they require attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we haven't really talked about it, but um, Frisians, uh, you know, I can be safely said that they are known for their temper. And that doesn't mean that there's, there's a, you know, a, a few hot horses between them. But as a breed, um, their, their temperament is, is quite unique. And I know that um, many, you know, the other breeds also, there are horses that are great friends of their owners, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Frisian horses, especially, uh, and I'm I'm biased, of course. Um, but uh, like, if, if you can quite easily equate them to a friendly dog, mm -hmm. uh, many of the horses are like the Frisian horses are like that. They 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 seek your attention, and and mm -hmm. they're they're actually quite intelligent, and and that comes through also when um, training the horses. Um, so that's pretty unique about the Frisian horse. And I've had some other breeds in my barn um, only because they were guests for one reason or another. And um, I'll stick to the Frisian. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll enter our next segment, Canter Banter. Do you love horses and live the equestrian lifestyle? Be sure to check out our brand new blog at www.yourhorsefarm.com. We publish three posts per week and feature a free printable equine checklist every month. Yourhorsefarm.com is a great equine online resource, so be sure to share with all the horse lovers in your life. And remember, laugh much and ride often. 
Our next segment, Cancer Banter, is brought to you by Ram Horse Fencing and Stalls, the one-stop shop for your horse farm. Ram is family-owned and operated and has been in business for over 30 years. We welcome you to call in and speak with an expert about your next project today at 866-653-8984. Again, that's 866-653-8984. So um, this happened about 10 years ago, but some uh, uh, fellow Frisian friends in, in Michigan were preparing to take uh, their mares with their babies to the curing um, because the, we also are encouraged to bring foals, you know, the foals that were born this year to the curing. And typically our currings in North America are in late August or early September. And uh, so anyway, these friends, they were loading their mares and they had about four or five of them in, in a fairly large trailer. And of course the baby gets put alongside the mom in a slant trailer, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so they got them loaded up and uh, they drove to the venue, to the site where the curring was taking place. And it was about a 30 minute drive. And they come to the curring and they open the trailer and there's a foal missing. So there are windows, right? There's windows in front of the horse, in front of the mares. And sometimes the trailers have bars in front of the windows, but these were open windows. Oh, no. And there was a foal missing. And so they were pretty aghast and were pretty upset. And so they sent someone back to go and scour the countryside where they had <laughs> the trail. And about three miles from home, they found the foal in the, in, walking alongside the road. Oh, my goodness. That actually jumped out through the window while the trailer was moving. Wow. And uh, it was bruised a bit, but the foal survived and uh, grew to be an adult. That That's is my crazy. Story. <laughs> oh my I don't I think you've never heard that one before. No. no. <laughs> luckily, it had a very good ending. Yes. Well, it was so good talking to you. You're so knowledgeable, and um, I think we've learned so much yes. um, that we just didn't even know. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Okay, well, thanks for the invitation, and I, uh, I enjoyed it too. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast and encourage you to share with all your equestrian family and friends. You can tune into the Late Night Writers podcast show every Friday night. Each episode will be uploaded exclusively on YouTube where you can subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with all of our latest shows. Do you have a topic you'd like us to discuss? We want to hear from you. You may email us at podcast.ramfence.com or feel free to leave a comment below. Thank you again for listening.